pardon me for getting some water. I no, don't normally run, but I just ran to the airport. I literally just got here about 45 seconds ago. And I was like, I was, like, I, I was in my uh, airplane seat at 7.40 still. And I'm like, this is bad. Oh no! <laughs> so that's me about 30 minutes ago, like this is gonna be real, real bad. And uh, so I had prepped Waterbury and a couple others, like have a backup plan. And I thought, surely it won't be that big of a deal because I normally have a testimony, our worship's been going long, and then I'm getting like texts while I'm getting in my car halfway through worship. I'm like, what? How are we that soon? And uh, I just got, I, I was in Nashville this morning. So I spoke this morning in Nashville for a business thing. And uh, anyway, so then I'm like driving here, I'm like, fix 50, oh no, <laughs> like I thought that this is doomed and like, oh, so Ashley texted me, she's like, take X Street and I go like 80 miles an hour down X Street, like I'm like barely making reds and getting through. <laughs> here, let me just collect my adrenaline for one second. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, back to the message here. All right, so uh, if you've been around here for the past uh, few weeks, we've been uh, studying healings, and uh, this all started from a real challenge of trying to figure out what does the Bible say about why healings don't happen? And it really troubled me about a year ago that I didn't have like a really good answer, and I wanted to find like, surely there's gotta be some really meaty scripture to help enlighten this topic. And so I spent a, a while trying to pull apart every single passage, every context, everything I could find about, uh, about healing. And so I synthesized it and, and worked on it the past few weeks. And um, so I've been kind of studying through with you guys and we've been getting like really, we get a lot of scripture, right? <laughs> I mean, it's been, there's no been, you know, one or two verses. We're going through like 20 verses. And the reason is for it is that I want you guys, one, to fall in love with the word. I want you to know that even the challenging topics, there's revelation there for us to, to be found in tough topics like this. And two, so that we actually could feel pretty confident about what the word uh, says on these tough topics as well. And um, so tonight's the, the fifth part, and we've been going through the forces against healing. I came across from it that there's not just one answer to why people don't get healed. And uh, we certainly see healings today, but it's like people say, well, maybe it's not for today, maybe it's for the New Testament church and all these different things. And uh, so I wanted to find out, surely the Bible has revelations into why, what are some forces that come against the supernatural power of God? And so we've gone through five until now. And so tonight is hopefully our last message on this topic. Um, it's been exhausting, but really awesome in a lot of ways for me, but I hope it's been enlivening for you. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to cover the last two forces against healing. I'm then going to synthesize them in about um, a minute, all of them, just so we can have an understanding, have a three-dimensional picture of the scriptures on the topic. And then uh, finally, the last part is what I want to spend um, our, our key time on is to how should we understand and how should we respond when things don't happen the way we want them to happen? And when we pray or maybe we've experienced things that we don't get the breakthrough that we actually hope and expect and want, and what does the Bible say about our response and, and where do we put that? Are you guys cool? All right, so let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you how rich it is, Jesus. And Lord, this is such a tough, challenging topic, and we just pray right now that we'd be stewards of your word. We don't want to twist it any which way that we would like it to be. Lord, we just want to have it be there and have it reveal itself to us. So Lord, would you do that for us now? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just heads up, I'll send these notes to anybody. So if you're like a note taker and you're going to try and capture some of the scriptures tonight, don't do that. It's better that your heart listens rather than your, your pen trying to scribble down things. So I'm, I'm going to go through a lot tonight, um, but I want your, your ears and your heart to hear. I don't want your pen to, to be all cut up. So the final two uh, forces, and this jumps into a realm of were there ever times when people who knew Jesus, had faith, had experienced the supernatural, did they ever need to be bailed out by Jesus? 
Do they ever need to like, whoa, like that didn't work all the way. We need to call in the big guns and have Jesus come and rescue us. Because you can have people who walk in the supernatural, walk in power, experience healings, and then there's still adversity. There's still situations that don't happen the way you'd want. And yes, I am talking about the disciples. And there are three scriptures here where Jesus has to intervene. Let me show them to you. The first is when the disciples were not able to heal a little boy who was demon-possessed. And Jesus intervenes and then heals them and says this in Matthew 17. It says, Then the disciples came and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. The disciples were fearing for their life on the boat. Remember, the big storm is all raging on everything, and Jesus intervenes and jumps in in Matthew 8, and he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? He then rebuked the storm, and it calmed. Jesus calling Peter out in the water, coming to him. Peter's like, Yeah, I'm walking on water. And then he starts like, you know, getting all terrified and he starts uh, sinking it. And Jesus in Matthew 14 says, He immediately stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, to him, you of little faith. Are you guys catching a pattern here? We looked at the different forces against healing. We asked, well, what city was coming against the healing? None. What person was coming against it? Nobody. Was it unbelief? No. Was it belief that he was not the Messiah? No, it wasn't all those things. It was number six. It's the littleness of faith. And notice that Jesus here doesn't say you have no faith. That's a different topic. You have no faith. He says you have little faith. Meaning there's a quantity, there's a measurement, there is a capacity, there is a level of faith. So what is littleness of faith? The best way I've been able to extrapolate in my mind is this. It's lack of confidence. Littleness of faith is not absence of faith. It's faith, but it's not confident. I'm going to unpack that. It's basically, I believe God can, I believe he will, but I'm not confident for myself. And the pattern for believers who struggled for power was littleness of faith. Now, I'm a person who loves to learn from other people's mistakes. Um, I like those little motivational posters, like the shipwreck that says, maybe your life was destined to be a warning to others. You know, it's like those kind of fun things. I do really well at like learning from like, okay, I don't want to have that guy's life or I don't want to do that wrong. And I do really well at this. But on this topic, I don't want to give you guys how to like four steps to not suck. Like that's a, it's a bad way to look at this topic. So littleness of faith is a challenge against healing. So why don't we look at people who exemplified extraordinary faith? The ones that Jesus was like marveling at. Let's check it out. There's seven of these. I'm going to read them real quick. The leprous man, he was one of ten. And they yelled, Master, have mercy on us. And Luke 17 verse 19 says, And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Everyone say your faith. The woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and she could not be healed by anyone, the text says, reached out and touched Jesus' robe. Luke 8, Jesus says this to her, says, daughter, your faith, everyone say your faith, has made you well. Go in peace. A blind man sitting by the side of the road yelling out to Jesus. Jesus in Luke 18 yells back, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight. Are you guys catching a pattern? Two blind men crying out to Jesus saying, have mercy on us, son of of David. Jesus asked, do you believe? They said, yes, Lord, we believe. It says in Matthew 9, then he touched their eyes and he said, it shall be done according to your faith. Say your faith. The centurion man who simply said, Jesus, I don't need you to do anything. You say the word and it shall be done. And when Jesus heard this in Matthew 8, he marveled and he said to those who are following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, everyone say great faith, with anyone in Israel. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, let it be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. Men carrying a paralytic man and cut a hole in the roof, remember? And lowered him down. Mark chapter 2, and Jesus seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up. In Acts chapter 14, a man sitting with no strength in his feet, never walked, was listening to Paul. It says, this man was listening to Paul, he spoke, who, when Paul had fixed his gaze on him and seen that 
he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. Are you guys seeing what happened here? Look at the confidence that these people had in healing. Every person here brought their own breakthrough. B-Y-O-B, bring your own breakthrough. (laughs) Right here. Their confidence to being healed was 100% certain. Not a single person in any of those passages questioned whether Jesus would or was willing or whether they would be healed or not. They had full assurances Let's think about what was missing in all those passages. How many days did they fast? Zero. How many prayers were prayed? Zero. How many days were they beating the gates of heaven? None. The main ingredient to these people's uh, breakthrough was their own faith. And you notice what Jesus said? He's very specific, seven times almost. He's very specific. He didn't say, I have made you well because of your faith. What do you say? Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. That principle seven times. That is what greatness of faith is. Jesus rebuked littleness of faith, but what we're seeing here is greatness of faith on display. Now here's some fact numbers because I know there's people that like numbers. There are 21 unique healings detailed in, in stories in the Gospels. 21 of them. And um, we know that, that John says there's many more works in here, so I, I get that. So, but the stories we do have, there's 21 of them. Four of them were blind men that were healed. Two of them were lepers. Two were paralytics. Three of them were women. One man had dropsy. One man was deaf and mute. One had a withered hand. There was one centurion servant. There was a crowd that everybody who touched a robe got healed. And then there were seven healings of people oppressed by demons. 21 in all. Now we think of your faith has healed you, and we include all the people that were healed, including those who had demons, that is one-third of people who were healed according to their own faith. That's a lot. Now, you take out the demon-possessed people, the demon-possessed miracles there, you take it out, and that number climbs to 42% of the time. Almost half the time, Jesus showed up and says, yeah, I agree what you agree with. And they were healed. Their level of faith is what brought their own breakthrough. You guys catching me? So what does this mean for us? Every healing is accomplished by faith. But not every faith accomplishes healing. Let me say that again. Every healing accomplishes, I'm sorry, every healing is accomplished by faith. All miracles, all healing, accomplished by faith. But not every faith accomplishes healing. Is that making sense? That's a play on words there. But we confuse great faith. We're like, I want to have great faith. And, And what our minds hear is great acts of faith, great acts of many acts of faith, many things with faith in them. And we do like fasting, prayer marches, declarations, petitionings. We circle buildings. We do some amazing things. I'm not trying to diminish the significance of those at all, and you'll see why in a minute. I'm not saying they are insignificant, but the activities of faith were not as important as the measures of faith. The activities of faith are not as important as the measures of faith. But some of us, instead of being confident in our God that he heals, we would rather fast for 80 days. Because that's about our control. Like, well, I tried Jesus. I did my part and you didn't do yours. And I wonder how much Jesus like, you know, you, you didn't have to be hungry that long. You just didn't. Again, don't misunderstand me. There is a place for prayer healing. We'll see that. But when it comes to healing, the issue is not religious activity. The the issue is not religious busyness. The issue is not that someone didn't jump up and down a hundred times. The issue is that we weren't confident in the process. We weren't confident that the words that we speak have power. That's the rebuke from Jesus. So you of little faith, where's your confidence? Let's look at how a couple of the other scriptures define faith. Look at this, James 5, 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. We know faith and prayer is the operative ingredient 
for someone to be healed. It's not just the prayer will restore the one who's sick, right? Because we can say prayers all the time. Jesus rebuked those who said many, many prayers over and over again. Saying like their many words will accomplish something, you know? He's like, that's not what I want. He says, and the prayer offered in faith. But we saw that 42% of the time that there were no prayers. It's crazy, right? They just, they had the measure of faith and were healed. James 1, 6 and 7. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to not expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance. Everyone say assurance. Assurance of the things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith by very definition is assurance. It doesn't make sense to say, you know, it doesn't make sense to say, I have faith, but I'm not confident in it. It's kind of like saying, like, well, it's dry water. It's like those two things shouldn't actually be able to be in the same sentence. Now, regarding Abraham, who is, if you read some of the, the, the New Testament, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith, I forget, what is that? Hebrews, Sean? Where it talks about, you know, over and over again, by faith, by faith. And talking about Abraham, look at this. This is Romans 4.20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being, look at this, fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Are you catching the themes here? Without any doubt, with assurance, being fully assured, that's the kind of faith that needs to be coupled in healing for the person to be made well. Are you guys with me? What this means is that your insecurity is just as powerful as your faith. Your insecurity is just as powerful as your faith. But faith at full measure is fully confident. And if you're not sure that God will answer your prayers, I can tell you he probably won't. That kind of sucks, huh? I didn't like that. But we just, we just read, right? James 1.6, For the man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord if he asks with doubt. So if you don't believe that God is going to break through, the chances are he's probably not. Maybe here's somebody else. You know, I don't know. I'm just trying to show you the word, what I'm, I'm just coming to with you at, at the same time. And what I'm, I'm discovering is that faith and healing is partnership with the kingdom. Faith and healing is partnership with the kingdom. And so we have a confidence issue. Because we don't have a history issue. We know Jesus healed people. You know, we, there's YouTube videos of people getting healed. Many of us have witnessed healings. But there's still a confidence issue. Why? Let me give you two passages and two truths that hopefully will, will help booster your confidence in this topic. And again, I don't have this all figured out. And... Um, also, this is not formulas. If I didn't give that disclaimer already, these are, please seek this out on your own. But this is, this is what I'm finding. The first one, to build your confidence and your assurance in your faith is this. Number one is that you were, everyone say were. You were healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. Look at this crazy passage. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. Were. Were. Past tense. That's not a typo. You're like, you will be healed? Um, you were healed? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not healed, Jesus. Well, actually, when we begin to look at the entire scriptures, we find there's like these weird time-space issues in the scriptures. Like really challenging verses like Ephesians 2.6, which says that you are currently seated in heavenly places. Like right now. Like, uh, I'll pretend I didn't read that. <laughs> you know? I don't want to think about that. I, I don't know. It says you are currently seated in heavenly places. And here we have in 1 Peter 2, you were healed. We know that we looked back at the theology of healing and sickness that in heaven there is no sickness, right? So when we, our, our eternal presence is already healed. And so what Peter is saying is that you are already healed in the heavenly realms. And now this makes sense when Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven. You are seated in heavenly places and you, you were healed, 
on the cross. You were healed. You were, you were redeemed and in heavenly places. And so now we get to understand, gosh, on earth as it is in heaven. Why? It's because in heaven I'm seated with him. I'm already healed for all afflictions. And we are pulling down from heaven onto earth what is already done up there. Now, when we think about that, are you guys good? Because I know this is like, you know, three-dimensional stuff here. But now we know why Jesus was so frustrated about doubt and littleness of faith. Because to him, he's like, I was there. You're already healed. I've already seen the movie. You know, he's like, he's like I already know. He's challenging because what we are fearful of is not actually representative of what reality is in the kingdom. In the heavenly realms where we already are with them. Healing is best described in this context as reaching into heaven and bringing back to earth what was already accomplished in heaven. Let me say that again. Healing to me is best described in this context as reaching into heaven and bringing back to earth what was already accomplished in heaven. You're basically commanding a one-way bus ticket for your healing and your breakthrough to come down right now. It's like, I don't want to wait till eternity to have that. I would like it now. And we can have confidence because the scripture says that in heavenly realms which you are currently seated that you were healed. I know that kind of blows our mind. Like I I don't, it's God always was and always is and there never was a beginning, no time. Like that stuff like I know. I'm just trying to show you the scriptures to help buoy some faith that wow, actually as far as God is concerned, I'm already healed. Because I'm seated with him and I already was healed. Number two is is the healing has already been paid for. And they go, God, why don't you, you know, please, you know, bring breakthrough. Well, when we understand that we were healed, we say, God, what you've already done, would you be able to, like, give us some love down here on that? Just give it a little early. Be great. And when we understand about the cross and how Jesus talked about how we should pray and agree to each other, check this out. Matthew 18, 19. It says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree, everyone say Agree. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. That word agreeing, symphoneo. Symphoneo is what that word means. Now, the connotation of this word is really interesting. The connotation of symphoneo means to agree on a price. It's like a bargain. How much do you want for that car? You know, it's like, oh, I'll take 500 bucks. Sure. You know, it's like symphoneo. You know, we've agreed on the price. That's the, the connotation of that word. Now, pause and think about that, agreeing on a price. Now, the scripture tells us that we are already healed. When we agree, we are simply agreeing that, Jesus, you already bought this. You already paid the price for this healing. That's says two or three agree You agree basically on the price. You basically agree with Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, you paid for this healing. You paid the cost for this to happen already. It's not, when we think about it in this way, it's not agreeing um, for what Jesus should heal. It's agreeing that Jesus did heal. And then we get to look to the scriptures and say, Jesus, I actually have the receipt for the payment of this healing. That is, are you getting this, the confidence, like, Jesus, you paid for this to be done. It's already done in heaven. And as we agree, we agree that you, yes, have already done it. We get two people and ask, Sean, did Jesus already pay for this healing? Sean looks like, indubitably, he did. And boom, that's what the connotation means. Doesn't that sound just like Sean? (laughs) So before you pray, you might want to let Jesus know that you have the receipt for the payment of that healing. It's just saying, Jesus, please, I don't ask you for much. You know, it should be like, thank you, Lord, that this man's already healed. Think of the cross paid for every payment. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave earth and leave all this debt for us. Like, no, you, like, you got off the cross, you handed us a receipt, and you said that you will do greater things than he did. Now, how many of you in this room actually believe that? I, hey, there you go. That's, I'm like, pass the next page. You know, like, it's like, I don't, for the longest time, I don't know what to do with that. Like, how, like, he didn't really mean that. Like, oh, he's just being kind. You know, it's like, someone gives you a compliment that's not really a compliment. You know, like, oh, nice dress. You know, they're just, <laughs> they don't like it at all. 
Maybe, I, I thought that Jesus needed to give us an ego boost. He's like, well, maybe if I tell them they'll do greater things than I will, that maybe they'll do 10% of what I did, you know? Maybe he was trying to compensate for that. But the promise that you will do greater works than him is a promise, not a prophecy. There's a very specific difference between that. A prophecy is kind of foretelling you what will happen. A promise is saying what could happen. You will do greater works than, than Jesus is a promise, not a prophecy. It's up for you to lose. It's completely up for you to walk it out. It's completely up for you to decide that you have the confidence to actually believe and say, my life actually is going to have a bigger dent. My life is actually going to have a big impact in this world. But most of us don't think that way. Because remember, like, we're like, oh, Lord, all the glory on you. Don't, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, like we want to do that, right? Yeah. I, was, I was recently at this place and like, you know, we're going to talk about this, but then we're going to get the glory back on God. I was like, when is it an either or? Like, it's, it's like, I, I, I couldn't love, I, I should not love Scarlett and too much because then that's going to take away from my love for Camille. And we can't have that happen, you know. <laughs> when is it an either or? Are you, have you guys ever wondered that? Have you ever like wondered like, someone thinks I'm in competition with God on this deal? Come on. So as we think about this, that we'll do greater works than, than he, like some of us like shy away because we're like, oh, well, no, it's going to take the glory of him. It's not an either or. And we understand that he lives through us, that everything we do, he's getting the glory anyways. Matthew 5, 6, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. But we're like, oh, I'm going to keep this little light all in here and I'm not going to let anybody do it because the glory is coming off Jesus if I let it out. And it's the exact opposite. You shall do greater works than him. But it's not going to happen. If, if you don't think you're going to do greater works than Jesus, I promise you, you won't. Because the lack of confidence is going to keep you from that. You will never do anything that you have no confidence for. That one good? The last one. Number seven is misunderstanding. Let's take a look at a juxtaposition of two passages really quick. Matthew 10, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. How many kinds? Every. And what did he give them? Authority. Did Jesus say, except for this, this, and this? No, right? He gave them all authority. Now let's look at what happened. Mark chapter 9. And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out. And they could not do it. Everyone say, could not. But wait a second. Didn't they just get authority over this mother? No. Like, they couldn't now? They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. It's kind of awkward. And, he, and Jesus asked his father, how long? Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening? And the father replied, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, the disciples got all authority over every sickness, over every disease. Game time. They can't bring this one home. Like they are failing, right? They can't conquer it. Now, was their power inadequate? No. Was their authority inadequate? No. Because they've been given all authority. Like you, you have all authority, right? But notice what Jesus did when the boy was brought to them. He asked a question. He asked a question. Now, surely Jesus, you know, he sees that and perceiving their thoughts. Like, he, did, he knows a lot of stuff. I think he gives us these glimpses to give us instruction. He asked a question, a clarifying question, and then Jesus healed him. He said, how long has this been happening? And then got the description of what happens. So Mark chapter 9, shortly after here, Jesus heals the boy. The disciples come in, and they're like, what the heck happened? Like, what, how did you, you told us this, how did you do that? And we couldn't. And he came in the, in the house and he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Jesus said, 
the disciples who asked him, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus said, this kind, everyone say kind, every, this kind cannot come out by anything except for prayer. If we look at here, we understand that Jesus detailed something to understand and a method in response. This situation demanded something to understand and a different response. It wasn't that the power was enough. It wasn't the authority was enough. It was that the understanding needed to be improved. And it reveals to us that to exercise authority, you need to understand what you are taking authority over. In order to exercise authority, you need to take authority, you need to know what you're taking authority over. It wouldn't make sense to come in here like, Jesus, just like do all this, please. Like, you know, that. Good? Got it? Sweet. No, like you need to say, Jesus, would you give me revelation on how to address this? Jesus, would you actually reveal to me what's going on here? I'm loving the discernment in this ministry because we begin to learn what is inside of us and what is the strongholds maybe that were, were given to us by, upon other people and violations of our life. And when we begin to understand that, we then get to know like, hey, you've got major issues and we get to say this is a spiritual issue and we can address it in the name of Jesus versus, oh, wow, you got a lot of stuff. Now, there's like a four-step program we can enroll you in that it's going to take six weeks. Now, how many times are we taking a spiritual issue that needs the name of Jesus and enrolling people into a program? And vice versa. You know, how many times like, oh, homeboy can't wake up in the morning. We're like, oh, let's get some prayer and fasting going. Let's cast out the enemy. Like it, it cuts both ways for sure. But the important thing here is that we want to be a culture of authority to have our words have power. And Jesus shows us here that you can't take authority over something that you have no idea what you're up against. Jesus describes going against an army. And he says, what king will not count the cost and count the army? Why is Jesus talking about battles? Shouldn't it be like, no king should ever go to wars. You know, that's what he normally would say. But I believe he's talking about spiritual principles. And so therefore, we need to ask, as painfully as this comes out of my mouth, sometimes we need to ask the Holy Spirit. Why is that painful? Because usually that's the answer to every question I ask Eric. I'll ask him something, it's like, well, did you ask the Holy Spirit? It's like, I knew that was coming, dang it! Like, his, his text messages should just reply, like, auto-reply, did you ask the Holy Spirit? Or, his voice will say, you've reached Eric. Before you leave a message, have you asked the Holy Spirit? It would free his schedule up to no end. But holy cow, are we seeing here that maybe we're getting our butts kicked because we've never asked the Holy Spirit to give us enlightenment. Could it be that we are wandering through the dark and we're getting our butts kicked in life, spiritually, physically, everywhere, and, and we just ask, Lord, could you turn the light? Let me see. Just let me see. And we're so busy, like, oh, I got to improve this. But, but the simplest thing, 2 Timothy 2.7 says, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I went to the Lord with this verse tonight because there's a one passage that's been looming over me. I'm going to redeem it tonight. But the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And there's something that's going against you. Maybe, ironically, we need to like, ask that like, eternal being that's all-powerful that lives inside of us for what's going on. How can I understand? How can I respond? Because in here, clearly we know that healing is not one size fits all. And therefore, every response is not one size fits all. So if we have a formula, we've already lost the battle. Because here, Jesus is talking about, I've given you authority, but I've also given you the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, you have the mind of Christ. Why forsake the mind of Christ for words? Why forsake the mind of Christ to actually know what's going on and see what's going on and just repeat a common prayer that you've heard? All right. The end on those. Is that good? So let me summarize this in the most contextual, concise way. So 
what I have found in the Bible for what are the forces against healing, what are the factors, they are this, the cities and regions and places you're in. Jesus removed people out of cities. He removed people out of temples. He removed people across rivers. He removed people, uh, took people to different situations and then healed them there. That geography actually mattered in the Bible. Number two was the people you're with. It's amazing how many times Jesus went to go heal and he took three people with him and left the other nine back. It's amazing how he removed people out of temples, then brought them in to get healed. Number three is the condition of your heart. Jesus lamented the cities that his miracles were done in because they didn't repent, if you remember. Their hearts were hardened. And it's going to be a challenge to have change when your heart is not, is not uh, soft before him. And it's what the Pharisees struggled with too. Jesus grieved at their hardness of heart. That's why the miracles rarely happened around the Pharisees. Number four, also with the Pharisees, the, the stubbornness of your mind. The disciples came back like clicking their heels, like woohoo, like we're healing things and things are getting cast out. And Jesus' response was that I thank you that you have hidden them from the intelligent and revealed them to the infants. That Jesus basically declared that the healing power and what God destined for them is not for the smartest people, but the most uh, uh, available people to believe. Not let their minds get caught up. Number five is unbelief. I believe in God. I believe he can heal, but I don't believe he does. That is unbelief. You can believe in God, but not believe his power. You can believe that it doesn't happen for today. That is unbelief. We also talked about unbelief against you. That people look at you like, like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, no, I have the power of God in me. You know, like you can have a force of somebody that's going to have an expectation over you. Just like in Jesus Number six, we talked about littleness of faith, having no confidence for what you're praying, no confidence for your own breakthrough. BYOB, bring your own breakthrough. Hopefully that sticks, that was designed to. And finally, misunderstanding, not knowing what you're up against and not able to use your authority because you have no idea what you're facing. All good? So now all you guys have a PhD in this topic, and I'm very sorry we've gone through it. Now, the burning, burning question is how should we understand? Because I prayed for someone to get healed two weeks ago and they didn't get healed. In fact, they died. I was like, well, maybe I'm supposed to raise them from the dead. Maybe that's how I'm supposed to start this. So I go to the, to the memorial. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm all for this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like in this material and they buried him like the day before. So I didn't get either or. <laughs> I didn't want to like ask the family, like, um, can I know where the plot is? I know it sounds really weird, but I'm going to go ask if God is like, you know, still kind of considering this one still. But um, it's important for us actually have a biblical view of when things don't happen that we believe that we are even confident for. All those factors, we can have all those factors, and yet there still are going to be situations that defy our reason. So I'm going to give you three ways the Bible tells us to respond. The first is to remember what's truly important. Remember what is truly important. Luke 10, when all of the disciples came back, just thrilled that the demons were getting cast on, people were getting healed. They say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from like heaven, like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, look at this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Let your focus not be on whether someone gets healed or not, but let it be on their place in eternity. We are concerned, like we, yes, Jesus is concerned about flesh and bone, but he's concerned about eternity more than flesh and bone. Jesus, I don't believe, wants to save your golf swing at the forsake of saving your soul. He want, healing is to bring a demonstration of God's love to bring you to repentance to bring you to him, to bring you into the family, to redeem you, to bring you over that chasm and into eternity. That is his purpose in healing. And so he, that's his primary mission. And so as we think about these things, like we need to know, like Jesus tells us, yeah, let's celebrate, let's be as powerful as we can in this world with the Holy Spirit. But also we remember that we celebrate because we have eternity with the king. We always have eternity with the king. Number two is don't let it shipwreck your faith. 
This for me was a big one because I was wrestling with that. The topic of healing became like the kind of pinnacle of my faith. It's an easy one to let like everything sway about what you believe. Is God really real? You know, like all these different things. And how do I answer that? And here's one of the most misunderstood and often avoided passages in the Bible about this. It's Matthew eleven twelve, And this is John the Baptist. It says, when John the Baptist, who was in prison, it's important detail, he was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he says this really, really odd statement. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What an odd thing to say. The blind are seeing, the dead are raised, and, and blessed are you if you do not stumble in your faith because of me. You're like, what? That makes no sense. Why would anyone stumble on account of Jesus? The only way to stumble on account of Jesus is to blame Jesus for what didn't happen. The only way to stumble on the account of Jesus is to blame Jesus for what didn't happen. See, Jesus knew exactly what John the Baptist was uh, asking here. John the Baptist is in prison. He knew that he's, he's like, he's on the death march. His, his death is like coming soon. And John was asking Jesus to come save him from prison and death. The Messiah, as everybody expected and wanted, was to be the ruler, the physical king, like a politician that would come and like open the jails and do all these different things. Like they expected a physical ruler. And so John the Baptist is like, um, so when are you going to get like the ruling on the road? Like, you know, when are you going to start opening prisons for some of us that have been preparing the way for you? It's kind of a big deal. He's like, are you the one or is there somebody else? Translation, I'm still in prison and you're out there. What the heck? That's what John the Baptist is saying. He's like, are you the Messiah that's going to bring justice? If so, come and set me free. And Jesus more or less said no. He says, I'm not coming. But blessed are you for continuing to believe, even though it appears I'm not coming through. Breakthrough might be happening all around, but if it doesn't happen to you, don't blame Jesus. That's what I'm learning is that even though breakthrough might be happening all around, that even though it doesn't happen what I want for me, my rule is not to blame Jesus. I'm blessed if what doesn't, what prayers don't get answered, I'm blessed if those don't affect my faith. But the challenge is that sometimes we put all of our faith on all of our eggs in the basket of, did our prayers get answered? Did God really come through? And so I say to you, don't let what Jesus didn't do become a stumbling block in your faith. We see here that we'll receive blessing for continuing to believe and have faith even though what you wanted and asked for did not happen. If you pray for healing and someone doesn't get healed, you're blessed if you do not let that become a stumbling block for your mind, your heart, your faith, and if it does not cause you to shy away from praying for anybody else again. Maybe we don't have as much prayer for healing because we've prayed once and it didn't work and then we're like, well, that sucked and so I'm not going to do that again. How is that not a stumbling block attributed to Jesus? I would rather be a part-time healer than a full-time skeptic. I'd rather pray for healing one million times in order to get the one guy who gets out of a wheelchair. I don't care. Like, if I pray and it doesn't happen, you know what? It's not going to affect my faith anymore. It used to, but not anymore. Blessed am I if I can pray and believe and have confidence and have belief and have all those different things and have it not come through, even though I felt like I checked all the boxes and say, well, it didn't happen, but Jesus, I'm not going to blame you. And that was the sin of Job is that he cursed and blamed God because he thought it was his righteousness that was going to preserve his goodwill. But Jesus knows, well, on here, Jesus never promised us to have like to be able to pray for traffic to go away and have like everything go our our way all the time. He said, take courage, you're gonna have troubles. Like you're gonna have drama in your life, but I've overcome the world. 
So it's not biblical for us to assume that like, oh, well, anything, oh, the hangnail, I cast you out. No, (laughs) there's going to be challenges in our life, but the bottom line is don't let healing in particular make or break your faith. It's not the final word because remember, we remember that we were healed. We don't have to get so feisty about this time here. Finally tonight, and finally in the series, I'm going to end with this, is do not let it slow you down or stop you. If you don't get healed, or if someone you pray for doesn't get healed, do not let it slow you down or stop you. One of the trickiest passages, this is the passage I took to the Lord and said, Lord, I need you to give me understanding on this. I've been avoiding this passage. 2 Corinthians 12 because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Has that verse troubled anybody else? (laughs) My grace is sufficient for you? That's kind of like... My, like when I ask my dad, he say no. I was like, why? He's like, because I said so. Well, that doesn't tell me anything, you know? Any, any other father say that to you? Because I said so, you know? I, I hope to invoke that in my children sometimes too. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I said so. It was like one of these things like, okay, but it doesn't help. It doesn't give me any information. For power is perfected in weakness. That's so vague. What does that mean? It's like, it doesn't make sense. They go against each other. And the thorn, we don't know what it is, but we know this, that... Paul says it's a messenger from Satan. And then the significance of thorns, we think about that the earth was cursed with thorns in Genesis. Jesus had a crown of thorns. And thorns is the parable that chokes out the seed. So I'm going to guess that thorns are not a good thing. I'm going to guess that it's, it's, something, it's symbolic of something else. But here's where I got really challenged. My grace is sufficient for you. All of us, we have at least one association with grace, and very few of us have two associations with grace. We need to have two associations with grace. Grace is our salvation, right? I did not deserve to be saved. It's Romans 5, though he loved us that while we were still sinners, we didn't deserve any merit to be saved, right? That's grace. Grace is the salvation covering for us to give us what we did not deserve so that we can have eternity with him, right? The second definition of grace is the operative power, everyone say power, the operative power to do, to give us the ability to do something that we were not previously capable of doing before the grace arrived. It's the operative power that is given to us to do things that we were previously not capable of doing before we received grace. Let me give you a few examples. Ephesians 4, 7, it talks about that some were given to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, Right? Priscina says, each one of us, grace was given. I'm talking to save people. Each one of us is grace to be given. And he gave apostles. He gave apostles from grace. Your gifting is from grace. Salvation is from grace too, but your empowerment is from grace. Romans 12, 6. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Again, an operative bestowing grace. It empowers us. 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul talks about how he was the master builder according to grace. According to grace, I laid a foundation that no one else is building upon, that one others can build on top of. It was grace that gave him the operational power. Now, what God is saying in this is that when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, he's saying is that what I've equipped you with is greater than anything that may try and hinder you. What I have equipped you with is greater than anything that is trying to hinder you. When he's saying my grace is sufficient for you, he's not saying, well, salvation's enough. He's saying, no, I've empowered you above and over that thorn. I've empowered you to continue to operate in that, despite the thorn. Power perfected in weakness. God's power is most on display when it defies your capability. Let me say that again. God's power is most on display when it defies your capability. It's not the power of God if your own ability could have done it. If I, like I'm decent with graphic design, I make a flyer, I'm like, look at the power of God, you know, like, maybe. 
Or maybe I've been doing graphic design for like 20 years, you know? But power is perfected when there is no other way that you could have done it on your own. Power perfected in weakness. Another way is the power of God is on full display when people cannot question whether it is from you or from God. They know it's from God. My favorite thing is when someone comes up here and gets prayer and they come to me and is like, did you tell them all my stuff? I was like, I haven't talked to them about you in ever. You know, like they're hearing from Jesus and their mind's crazy. When someone gets a word from God from somebody else, their first thing is like, well, there's, there's gotta be some other explanation because he certainly can't know it. That's power perfected in weakness, knowing that we didn't have the ability to do what God just did. Is that making sense? Weakness is not for you. It's for others to distinguish God's power within you because there is no way you could have just done that. I know Waterbury. There's no way that he could have, that has to be God. That's power perfected in weakness. And the testimony of God is not that he used perfect, capable, and beautiful, and talented people. The testimony of God is that he used people like you and I, broken, uneducated, dejected, to bring breakthrough to the nations. That is power perfected in weakness. God did not create leaders. He took hearts from broken vessels and made them kings. We're totally in trouble if the only if the only people in ministry are perfect people. Because if they're perfect people, they're also liars. <laughs> so tonight, let me turn this on you. I'm going to close with this. You might have a thorn in your life that you've been asking God healing for. And it hasn't happened. There might be an issue in your life. There might be a temptation. There might be a stronghold. There might be something, some issue that you continue to bring to the Lord and you keep bringing it to him and you think that, Jesus, if this one issue would leave my life, then I would be set. I'd be so much better. I'd be so much more filled with your spirit. You know, I'd do these, these silly things. Like, you know, we always like base our, our status with God about what could change in us. And I believe in God's sanctifying work to continue to perfect us. We go from glory to glory, Right? But in that, there might be issues where we keep bringing to Jesus and he keeps saying, my grace is sufficient to you. In response, this is what he's saying. I am powerful in you because of me, not because of whatever issue you do or do not have. You being absent from that issue does not make you powerful. I make you powerful. So that thorn, that issue, that challenge in your life that you keep bringing to the Lord, and you're like, Lord, just take this and then I'll be set. He's like, no, you're set with me in you. You don't need to remove it for me to be any more powerful in you. In fact, I am shown more powerful when you continue in spite of that thorn. You are showing that the thorn, when you bow down to the power of the thorn, you are showing that the thorn is more powerful than God. When you don't activate yourself in ministry because you're like, oh, I still got this lingering issue in my life. And when I get that issue figured out, they'll really give my life to serving God. You are saying that that thorn is bigger than God's power. You're saying that that thorn should disqualify you from being the move of God. No thorn should keep you from doing what God designed you to do. Are you with me? And when people remove themselves or get removed from ministry because of an issue, they are declaring that the thorn is bigger than God. They're proving that the thorn is better. They're making the thorn a judge when God says, I am the judge. They're incorrectly disqualifying themselves when God is the qualifier. The thorn is not enough to stop you. My grace, which means the power in you, is for you to continue. His power is greater than any infirmity on you. We contend, we pray for the infirmity to leave. But his power in you is greater than anything that's on you. I love you guys.